The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the peculiar things about the Gospel of Luke is just how much detail he gives us about the life of Jesus. This is, of course, part of his entire reason for writing his Gospel. It's not that the others didn't include historical details, it's just that they had different concerns. They wanted broad pictures. They wanted important events. But Luke is the one who goes through the pains to give us all of those little details that all of us sleep through in our history classes. The names, the dates, the places, all of these things, all centered around making an account that anyone could pick up, and even if he weren't particularly knowledgeable about the region where these events took place, still he would know enough to get an idea of what was going on and therefore to understand what this whole church, Christianity, Jesus business that everyone is buzzing about really is all about. And indeed, among all the narratives of Jesus' youth, Luke is the one who gives us the most detail. The times and the places, the people surrounding the event, many details about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, about John the Baptist, about Mary and Joseph and their various encounters with the angelic messengers of God who bring the knowledge that the one who is to be born of Mary is to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. It's so rich in detail that when we come to the reading that we had from our gospel today, it seems unordinately abrupt. A single sentence we are given concerning these events. And in any other book, a sentence like this would bring no attention with it. It's the kind of sentence that we find and think of as merely a throwaway, a belated explanation of the fulfillment of what the angel said the child's name was to be, or else a little marker about an event that every Jewish boy would have undergone. A child is circumcised at eight days and his name is public publicly proclaimed to the people. This is ordinary stuff. It is unimportant in the eyes of the world. It is something that any editor would have put on the chopping block and left on the editing room floor. But it is not so with the scriptures. God does not put in superfluous details. 
If there is something in the scriptures, it is there for us to learn from it. It is there for us to be exhorted to good works by it. It is there for us to find comfort in and to rejoice in what God has done for us. And indeed, I would say that with this one sentence, Luke has put before us a mystery far beyond the ordinary comprehension of man. A mystery so sublime that it reaches in and touches our very being. Something that the heart of man could never imagine, but a mystery which comes from the will and heart of God himself. And so that we may probe that mystery, let us first remember what all of this circumcision business was about in the first place. When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to come to the land which he had promised him, he made a covenant with Abraham. He promised Abraham that though he was today childless and his wife Sarah barren, who promised that through him he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, and indeed that in him and in his flesh all the families of the earth would be blessed. Circumcision, therefore, was to be the mark of this covenant that Abraham had with God. It was a mark that Abraham and his descendants, well, to be blunt, they just couldn't get around with it. Couldn't get around it. They would all know. Every time they bathed in the morning, they would see the mark that God had given them. Every time they lay with their wife, they would see the mark that marked them as children of Abraham and the seed that was destined to bring forth the Christ into the world. It was a mark of God's mercy, a mark of his favor, a mark of his promise that there would come one born of this line, born the seed of the woman who would crush the ancient serpent that first led men into sin and damnation, and that in him all the seed of, of Abraham, whether by flesh or by faith, should be liberated from this curse and made holy in the sight of God forever. It was a mark of grace. But it was also a mark of something else. When Israel was called out of Egypt, when it went up to Mount Horeb to receive from God the law that he had given, circumcision gained a new angle. It was a mark of the covenant that they had with God. A reminder to them that as they were to be the promised seed that would bring forth the promised one, the Messiah, that they ought to live as God's holy people in the sight of all the nations. Here again, a mark which they could not leave behind, a mark which they bore in their very own flesh, was a reminder to them to be holy, to be circumcised not only in the flesh, but in the heart, to be pure in the sight of all men, to obey the statutes and commandments and just decrees which God had given them, to worship him alone, to broke no other gods among them, 
to keep his name holy and not misuse it, to remember the Sabbath that he had given them, to love their neighbors as they loved themselves. All these they were obligated to do as those who would claim the blessings of God. And circumcision was a reminder of that obligation, an obligation that frequently was not met. For though all of the sons of Israel had been circumcised, yet not all remained faithful to what that circumcision called them. Many went astray into sin and unbelief and into damnation. Therefore, circumcision in and of itself serves only to remind of the law which all of them were under, a reminder of their obligations to God that they had not met. And indeed, in and of itself, circumcision seemed to promise nothing. It seemed that the promise given to Abraham was locked behind this purity of life that they were supposed to live. It seemed as though the blessing that had been promised to them was forever beyond their reach because of the law that they could not keep. And indeed it was. Until what Luke writes for us today. That is the sublime mystery that lies at the heart of this seemingly insignificant sentence. That Christ, the Son of God, the one who gave the very law on the heights of Sinai, the one who demands holiness and purity of all of his creation, the one who made the covenant with Abraham, and the one who called Abraham's seed to live in the holiness that their circumcision demanded, that one today, in our own flesh, in the very flesh of the fam family of Abraham, he receives the same mark. The mark which was to proclaim him, he receives in fulfillment of his promise. And the mark of obligation to God's law, he himself undertakes that he might fulfill it for us. The mystery of God's great love is manifest in this, that Christ made himself to be a slave to the law, so that we who are slaves to sin and unrighteousness might be set free from the punishment that is due to us for our transgressions. And there is no more fitting time than this for us to truly ponder the name our Savior goes by. Jesus which means he will save his people. What more fitting a time for him to be announced to the world than in this moment where he gives a foretaste of the work that he is to do. Christ sheds his blood under the law that he might redeem those under the law and bring them into his kingdom. What has Christ saved you from? He has saved you from your sins, saved you from the condemnation that you were due, saved you by the shedding of his blood, both here in his infancy and there upon the cross.
This one sentence gives you hope that nothing else can match. In this one sentence, the heart of your God is revealed to you, the great extent of his love for you, what price he was willing to pay to have you as his own. Flesh and blood, he willingly takes them and he willingly gives them so that he might have your flesh and your blood your body redeemed from death and resurrected from the grave in his kingdom forever. He did not esteem his own body and his own blood so much that he would not willingly give it for you. And so too, day by day, the gifts which he has secured by this body and blood, he gives to you of that same heart of grace and mercy manifested all those days ago. The gifts of Christ's sacrifice are yours. They are his blessing for you. They are your inheritance. They are your treasure that nothing in this world can surpass, and they are your inheritance that nothing in this world can take from you. They are your joy and comfort. They are your shield in the day of trouble. They are your blessing amidst all of the curses of this world and your strength in all trial and adversity. And I suppose maybe then it's also fitting that by mostly happenstance, this also happens to be the beginning of a new year. A new year under the grace of Christ a new year under the blood that has been shed for us, and a reminder that as the sins of old have been laid to rest by the blood of the infant Jesus, so too the sins of the years to come shall not part us from his love. And whatever this world would curse us with, whatever it would try to take from us, Whatever false accusations and slander it would level against us, we can face all of these in the sure confidence that Christ, our Savior, lives and reigns, that there is power in his name, and that his name has been placed on us in our baptisms such that we have been made to conquer all in this world. So then let us have no fear. Let us face the coming days with all boldness and confidence and with unswerving faith in Christ, he who saves his people from their sins and who this day has made us to be his people. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.